You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. Ah, the marketing qualified lead. If you virtually attended the December 2021 installment of Technology Advice Demand Fest, you might have heard a few marketers talk about moving beyond the MQL and adopting less subjective and more relevant methods of defining a prospect. I'm Mike Pastor from Technology Advice. In this episode of B2B Nation, we're talking to James Stanton, Vice President of Marketing for HR software provider Empyrean, about his company's move from MQLs to opportunities. We're also going to talk about how and why James is outsourcing Empyrean's digital marketing function to a collection of agencies and outside experts, and the challenges and successes that's delivered for the company. Have a listen. James Stanton, thanks for joining us today on B2B Nation. Why don't you take a minute or two and tell us who you are and what you do? Thank you, Mike, and it's great to be here. Um, So I'm pretty excited that I get to be the marketing leader for a company called Empyrean. We're an HR tech company with about 600 employees, and we at Empyrean run a mission to help our clients improve their employee experience and create a culture of total well-being by leveraging what we sell, which is our benefits administration solution. We've seen the pandemic strip away opportunities for businesses to build their culture through brick and mortar tactics, right? And uh, that's elevated benefits as really being one of the more tangible expressions of a company's culture. And so, yeah, I get to lead a marketing team that's focused on bringing uh, a new brand message to the market, collaborating with sales to make a connection with our prospects around this concept of building culture through benefits. And yeah, I have the privilege of leading a full stack marketing team with product marketing, thought leadership, communications, creative production, digital marketing, channel marketing, field marketing, um, and even most recently, our BDR program. So excited to talk to you about what we're up to and uh, have a good conversation today. HR tech, as you said, hugely important over the last couple of years now, whether it's benefits, employee engagement, employee well-being, you name it. I saw a stat recently, the number of platforms, HR tech platforms, the average company uses has almost doubled over the past year or so. So a huge area, still a huge area of opportunity because as you and I were talking about before we hit record, we have no idea what's coming next. So. <laughs> we, we don't, and uh, but I can tell you with assurance that people are a big part of what's happening next. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> At least for the foreseeable future, you will need people and your people will need to be taken care of. So. That's right. <laughs> All right. So uh, one of the things we're going to talk about on this episode is MQLs, Marketing Qualified Leads. Now, for listeners who are loyal attendees of Demand Fest, our quarterly virtual event about all things B2B marketing, uh, our last installment in early December, we talked a little bit about this. MQLs, the problem with MQLs, and is 2022 the year that marketers kind of bid farewell to the MQL? And if they do, what's the alternative? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, and uh, you know, M- MQLs have been the backbone of marketing, uh, you know, kind of metrics and uh, goal setting for a, a large number of years, and uh, a challenge that that comes right along with 
thinking about the demise of the MQL is just how prevalent it, it is, right? Uh, not just within marketing, but all the you know finance and the functions that support marketing. But I'm um, I'm here to tell you, Mike, in my in this humble marketer's opinion, the MQL is dead. I think it's done. <laughs> and I think 2022, if you're not thinking about um, moving on from uh, equating marketing success to number of MQLs delivered in the B2B world, especially, right, um, you're going to be mi- missing, missing the boat. So what is the alternative? If you're a marketer who's been relying on MQLs for years, what are you going to be paying attention to if not counting your MQLs? Yeah, I, I think that um, what, what we're doing here at Empyrean and what I'm hearing from peers that uh, engage with uh, in the industry, we're looking more at opportunities and at influencing opportunities and potentially uh, creating opportunities. You know, in speaking with the BDR leader here at Empyrean, you know, we're not talking about lead gen, we're talking about opportunity gen. And it's a bit of a mindset shift, right, um, that you need to take. And by putting the MQL to bed and thinking about the opportunity, it opens up a different set of activities. First off, those activities are 100% aligned with sales, right? When you start talking about opportunities and impacting the opportunities that are in the pipe and creating opportunities out of the you know, companies that are, are on your target list, you immediately have a more connected conversation with your sales counterparts because that, that's how they see the world, right? And, and I see that this kind of, again, demise of, of MQL and, and rise in my book of, of opportunity creation, that is a result of ABM, right? I mean, we've as, as B2B marketers, right? ABM has been a, a strong flavor for a number of years. And now if you take a full ABM philosophy, well, then what, what, what's an MQL got to do with that? Right. I think the important thing is when marketers hear that MQLs are dead or dying, is that you don't just relabel it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> we see this time and time again in the business world where your reputation becomes your personal brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's a different label on the same thing. We're talking about actually changing the way that the marketing function operates in a line. Yep. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great point, right? If you've been trading your success as a marketer on, on MQLs, that's that's great, right? And it doesn't mean that you're suddenly irrelevant. It just means that you need to transform some of the activities that, that you've been doing into a, a different approach and mindset. And again, when you think about you know things that need to, to happen with opportunities, you're, you're looking at finding more contacts, right? So there is still an uh, absolute need for the tactics of identifying people, but then what you're doing and how you're measuring success is how many, you know, how are you connecting those people to an opportunity that maybe isn't quite ready yet for sale, for field sales to pursue, but there's a number of things that you can do with a, if you've got BDRs that you're working with, or if you just have, you know, marketing tactics that you're engaging on, there's a number of different things that that you can do to create an opportunity and then move that again into the active pipeline, right? Out of a kind of stage zero waiting room um, into, nope, this is active pipe um, that the uh, that field sales wants to pick up and run with. So the MQL has been around for a really long time and it's 
familiar to just about everybody who touches the sales and marketing functions in a B2B business. And we talk a lot on this podcast about the change that's occurred in B2B marketing over the past 10 to 15 years. And, you know, marketers, we hope, because they listen to B2B Nation, are up on (laughs) what is changing. But the people they report to and the, the CFOs, the CEOs may not be quite as in tune with changing. So what is your advice for marketers? You want to ditch the MQL. How do yeah. you have that conversation with the folks who have been living and dying with it? Yeah, for, for sure. It's a, it's a great point. And I think that, you know, I can't say as I have the, the absolute silver bullet here, right, on, uh, on, on how to handle that communication as it's a bit different, right, for for each organization. And I I do agree that, uh, you know, plans have been made around MQLs, budgets have been built, CFOs have gotten comfortable, right? So I I totally agree that it's a little bit of a uh, uphill climb to start. But what what I believe is a, a good focus of the communication um, is right off the bat that you're, you're not trying to, you know, with an MQL, often what happens is it becomes a territory type of thing, right? Who's responsible for creating that op, you know, that that new lead, um, and who's going to take ownership of it? So, out of the bat, if you look at kind of what the MQL does, is it can pit marketing and sales kind of against one another, right? Because then what happens after the M- MQL? You've got the SQL, right? So it's like, okay, here you go. I'm, I'm throwing it over the fence, and now sales like, well. I'm going to also qualify this lead or I'm going to drop it, right? So I think if if you are a leader, right, a bit, you know, on the C-suite, a CEO or, you know, CSO or CRO, whatever, you know, CO you are, um, and you want to have a a harmonious and well-orchestrated go-to-market motion, then you want to have sales and marketing working together, right? And seeing that both pipeline creation um, and pipeline acceleration and prosecution, that it's all being done together and uh, eliminating this very linear march down the, you know, it's almost like an automated factory line with an MQL, right? You put an MQL on one line, the next person comes down. That's just not the world that, that we live in, right? There's many different ways for people and companies to find out about value. And so, an opportunity, having an opportunity mindset, again, will create that collaboration. It'll create more ways uh, to, to find opportunities and give more opportunities for people to work together successfully. Yeah, among the, among the issues that keep surfacing when you discuss MQLs in a context like this, an MQL is usually one person, and yeah. one person can very rarely make something happen in B2B. So that's, a, that's a great point. Yeah, no, it's a great point, Mike. And I think that what is uh, Serious Decisions calls it the demand unit, I, I believe, right. which is, uh, you know, it's very good military there, demand unit. Um, <laughs> but uh, so many total sidebar. I feel like there's so many marketing words, right, that are like related to military. I never, I never quite, we got to pepper the field with like, you know, awareness building campaign and air combat attack. Anyways. I'm more of a hugger kind of marketer, right? We like, <laughs> we like to bring people into cocktail rooms and conversations. But anyways, uh, Serious Decisions did, did coin the, the demand unit, I believe what they call it. Um, and that is something that uh, we, we on this side are starting to, to pull together. And it takes, it takes quite a bit of work to, to do that behind the scenes in Salesforce because you have to 
you have to trick Salesforce into kind of operating in an opportunity and, and demand unit fashion. But all the demand unit means is, as you just said, right, there are in, in our business, right, there are four or five key roles that if you don't have them all engaged, your opportunity is going nowhere, right? Um, so, you know, it's great that maybe the HR leader perhaps has, in, in our case, right, has, has engaged, but unless I get the, you know, VP of benefits also on board, like I'm not going anywhere with, with our conversation. So having a demand unit, looking at things as an opportunity, all allows you to kind of create that blueprint for a successful deal that sales knows that. Sales has known this all along, right? I'm not going to win a deal unless I have all this happening. Now marketing with a demand unit or an opportunity-based approach is able to catch up and play the same game that sales is. Yeah. And in, in very large organizations, it gets more complicated because you may be talking to person A in Seattle and person B in Miami has no idea that person even exists. Yep. <laughs> and they're yep. both knocking on your door. And if you've ever reached out to a salesperson and their reply is, hey, do you know so-and-so who, who works in your organization? <laughs> Yep, because like you said, they're trying to figure out how this works in Salesforce. Are you guys on parallel tracks? Are you working together? Right. No, it's it's so it's so fun. I mean, there there's definitely times when you when you're dealing with a large prospect where you know you're you're bringing people together on their side for the first time, right? Um, and you know that that's another uh, you know kind of sidebar trend in, in my book, but it goes along with this is this kind of you know, asynchronous progression of opportunities, right? Because you may have, you know, Mary, right? Who is with, you know, she's the first person we found and, you know, she's heard our brand story. She's bought into the, how we go about doing things. And she is down, like we're having sales meetings. And all of a sudden here comes Joe, who the heck is in period? And why am I talking to you? Right? So you, you have to have, you know, kind of a multi-threaded um, opportunity, you know, pursuit. Um, and when you take this approach, right, kind of getting away from, you know, MQL, and you're thinking about, all right, I've got four or five roles that in order to be successful, I need to have them all in there, and they all need to know these things. And I need to know these things about them. That makes a successful opportunity. That's what's going to win. You can program all that. And it, but, you know, again, it's, it's a combination of marketing tactics and sales tactics to get there. Yeah, multi-threaded sales communications is one of the new Gartner things that they seem to be harping on since the end of 2021 and into 2022. <laughs> well, uh, as a former Gartner employee, right? I'm a I'm a big I'm a big fan of Gartner, and boy, we were awesome, and they are awesome at coming up with terminology. All right, so you've got an experiment that's going on at Empyrean, and that is that you have outsourced uh, your digital marketing function, pretty much all of it. To agencies. Yep. So tell us about that. Why did you decide to, to go that route and how's it working so far? We could pretend the agencies in question aren't listening. So just <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to give them a call out because I've got some great ones. Um, so, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to think that this was a, a fully premeditated experiment based on months of, you know, solid thinking and planning. Um, but uh, for any of us in marketing, we know um, that's rarely the case. <laughs> so I, I had an opportunity that kind of presented itself when there was a, someone on my team who uh, held uh, the digital marketing position, decided to move on, right? And I had to keep the digital marketing engine fully fueled up and running, right? So it happened at the same time I was talking to a new agency for us 
and was originally, you know, kind of had one scope uh, for them to, to handle. And as all this was going down, I ended up engaging them uh, to, to do more. And it was originally going to be kind of for, for a quarter. And uh, as uh, you, know, you, you said there, you're right. Like, I'm kind of looking at this now as an experiment for the year. So the, the, what we've got set up on this side, I've got three agencies that, that we work with. The first is that one that um, has taken on greater responsibility. Their name is Catalyst out of Denver, Colorado. Great B2B agency and in B2C too. And there's uh, lots of fun stuff they're doing with us there. But they're like, you know, the digital hands for our campaign execution, right? So they set up campaign landing pages. They do all the programming and part out. If we want to have nurture emails, all those things, we come to them with the campaign parts and they program it for us. They also manage all of our digital media now, right? So all the execution of our SEM, uh, you know, strategy and our um, demand-based uh, planned ABM execution. They do all that, and then we're tapping into them for some creative as well here and there. But really, you know, their their big part out of the gate is to manage our digital, and then over time, we'll, we'll uh, see uh, how much how much more um, creative um, we we do with them because they've got some great ideas. Then we have a boutique SEO agency. They're out of Southern California, Silverback, and they help us own like all the organic right traffic that that we're trying to drive uh, and make sure that our website. It's fully operational, right? And then we also finally have a, uh, a bit of a longer standing partnership with a agency out of Austin named Integris. And they've been a great partner in helping us build all of that Salesforce infrastructure. So I mentioned a minute ago, right, about going to, as, as we go out of MQL and to opportunity, you have to trick Salesforce and how to do that and still assign, you know, contacts. And so, so there's a lot of work to happen there and then report on it. So the, the missing piece there, right, is marketing attribution. So um, I'm actually looking at solution providers right now to, uh, and, and interviewing some folks out there, open to any good suggestions, uh, lo- looking at a number of providers that can help us really take a look at the impact that marketing is having. So re- rear view mirror is important to know that we're being successful. Um, and then as we stand up analytics more uh, concretely, you know, helping us to look, look around the corner as well. So what I like about this experiment, right, is that I've got access to best in class, right? And best in class outside of my corporate you know, shell uh, talent and thinking, right? That's awesome. And uh, that so far is proving really helpful and kind of shaking up a bit of the thinking and, and the ways that, that we're going to market. The challenge, though, is keeping all that glued together, right? Because that falls on me. Oh, sure. <laughs> if those are well, so if those were all individual people on your team, it, that would be one thing. Yep. If it it would still it would be a challenge in our remote hybrid world because they wouldn't be right there. You can open the door and call their name. <laughs> yep. But yeah, they're they're scattered all over the country. They're working for different folks. That's a yep. And we yeah. do um, the the good news though is that you know. Pick, we pick these agencies and I, I, I look for agencies. It's as much about their work, right? As it is about, you know, their metal, right? And, and about their personality, right? And so all three of these agencies have a, a very, uh, you know, genuine and, you know, good, good kind of, you know, hubris and they all are happy to work with each other, right? So that there are conversations that happen between them without me. And I, I think that's one, one of the keys, right? If you're going to have, 
you know, a single marketing function that requires multiple agencies or contractors or what have you to work together uh, or, or that, that need to be orchestrated, you, you can't do it all through a game of a phone tag, right? It, you, you have to, and, and you can't also orchestrate every moment. Um, you know, there has to be times when the SEO agency is able to, you know, ring up the our digital agency and say, hey, that campaign landing page is, is miss, it's missing the mark. You need to do right? So I am starting to see that happen. Which, which is awesome. This, you know, you, you said this whole plan kind of came together organically, so to speak. How did you, uh, how'd you figure out they were going to be able to work together? Was that, did that just sort of end up being luck? But like, what would be your advice to someone who's thinking about coordinating all these contractors and how you make that happen? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a little bit is intuition on the uh, the agencies that that you've got, right? Are are they the type of agencies that immediately want to grab territory, right? So you know, it could have been you know, for instance, our our SEO agency has some of the capabilities that the the Catalyst has, that our digital marketing agency has, but they knew what they were good at, the value they were providing, um, and and how we were working together, and they were you know plugged into our content team and and all of that. And so they kind of felt really good about their lane. And especially when I introduced, you know, I let everybody know kind of what I was doing and thinking. And, uh, you know, they, they were supportive of that. So I, I would say that, you know, you, you, ha- you have to make sure that your agencies are up for it. That I was very clear. I was like, hey, I am not going to backfill a person. I'm going to, you know, attempt to run this, uh, you know, as an outsourced model. And there's you know, going to be some risk to that. Are you guys game? Right. What do you, what do you think? Right. If you're a good, if you're a great agency, right, you you will um, you will take a, a, a client's you know point in hand and you'll push back if need be, right, um, and and you know could say. This sounds like a terrible idea, James. Like you don't have, you know, we barely can get you on the phone for a creative review, right? However, you know, how could this ever work for you to orchestrate that, right? Um, so, you know, had had some open conversations about what it would take and what the commitment for me, right, who has uh, m- multiple things on on his plate would be. And so, yeah, so I would just say open, honest conversation um, with your agencies. Keep them, you know, ha- have them think about and react to your your plan and. And look for uh, you know how how they might give you advice on good idea or terrible idea. It's still early enough in 2022 to ask this question, so I'm going to go ahead and ask it, and and then pretty soon I'm going to have to think of a new question. But what are you <laughs> excited about in the business world in 2022? Yeah, uh, you know there there is a lot to be excited about in in the business world uh, this year. I mean, I think you know we're as we come into the new normal, right, and and we're all coming out of what uh, 2021, certainly 2020 and 2021 is a uh, rather tumultuous year. You know, we were, uh, you and I were laughing a little bit earlier about, uh, you know, the, the pandemic B2B marketing playbook that we all got a copy of, right? You know, how to successfully market uh, through a pandemic. My copy is very dog-eared, right, at this point. Um, you know, we didn't have that, right? Uh, but so one of the things that, that, that I'm looking forward to, uh, and I'm really excited about, is this kind of deepening or, uh, you know, leaning into the changed work environment, right? We have, uh, you know, turned from like, you know, wow, Zoom is neat in 2020, right? To my God, my eyes are bugging out of my head. Why does everybody have to have a Zoom call every 30 seconds? And I feel like I'm on TV of 
2021. I, I feel like you know we're we're all kind of learning how to how to have a bit of a um, high, not bit. We're all learning how to have a hybrid work experience. Um, and on on my team, you know, I I joined the company I'm at now in the middle of the pandemic, um, and uh, I built a team that's remote across the country. You know, through the pandemic. And uh, we're really kicking some butt, right? We have, I have a really high energy dynamic team and we are able to have a, a, a balanced life, you know, work-life balance. But we also, you know, we get together at times, we kind of do these marketing residencies uh, that we call it in, in one of our offices about once a quarter. And I, I see just the, the, the work that I'm seeing that this team do compared to the work from uh, teams that I've had, you know, when we've all been together is actually stronger. It, it, it really is. Um, so again, when I, when I look forward to um, this year, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, really deepening those new work patterns and seeing the world, uh, you know, around create all sorts of collaboration tools that allow us to do it. <laughs> like we gave our kids an Oculus uh, for, for Christmas and for any of you out there who have, who have tried on an Oculus, this metaverse thing is real. And, and I, I could see, right, how, uh, you know, teams could be very collaborative, all plugged into uh, the metaverse. Like, I, you know, I always thought it was a science fiction type of thing. But after experiencing, I'm like, I, I see it. I have been mostly remote for about a decade. Okay. Which made the whole pandemic shift kind of non-existent to me i think in the beginning i was kind of like okay everybody here's how you do this and of course we all thought it was going to be a lot shorter than it has been yep but i think the the thing i probably if you asked me march of 2020 i couldn't identify it or put my finger on it that i got the most out of remote work was like space to think Mm. just you're you're sort of removed from people but you're not or it's easier to remove yourself from people and it creates that for me space to think and yeah. not have somebody at your cube, at your door, whatever. No, Mike, I agree. It's it's a it's a great way to to say it. You know, space to think. Um, you also get to you know own your time a bit more, right? Because you you can yep. set the boundaries. The calendar, man, has that calendar become even more important, right? Uh, and you know, I I block time on my calendar. Shh team, right? You know, that, that's just for me to work, right? You know, that, that I'm blocked, I'm in a meeting, right? But, you know, you're, you're able to do that. Um, and yeah, there's no one that, you know, my kids may come and knock at that door behind me, um, which is sometimes a welcome distraction. But, uh, you know, you're not going to have a conversation come out of the blue as much as it used to, which does kind of in, a, in an odd way, slow down, right? Uh, the, the, the work uh, thought uh, and, and the work process, I, I think in a positive manner. Yeah. What about, we talked about your pandemic marketing playbook. How many times have you started and closed the chapter on in-person events and how's that going to change? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a really, that's a well-read chapter, um, you know, with, with, with lots of strategies in there. Yeah, man, f- field marketing has been something that it was such a felt miss, right? I mean, field marketing is such a core part of the um, you know B two B marketing playbook, uh, without a doubt. So, um, and so many talented people, and so many just great um, you know opportunities for engagement. It was missed by I think everybody. We, and and twenty twenty one was a, a year of fits and starts, but 
I could tell you that um, Empyrean is betting on uh, field marketing. We uh, hired a field marketing manager on, on my team th- this year o- over the summer, and we are planning right for a, a good year ahead. Right, I think that you know we'll have to continue to deal with the pandemic and hopefully pandemic moving to endemic status. Knock, knock, knock on lots and lots of wood. And uh, but I, I, we are seeing uh, you know in person events coming back into the mix next year, and we are hosting our own event in the city of Nashville in April. So far, so good. All systems are go. We're sponsoring a few other events, and uh, we are hopeful that uh, that twenty twenty two will see um, you know a bit a bit of a, a change from twenty twenty one and. And I think that last point on field marketing, I think that attendees are coming to events not only you know to to see the content and to see colleagues, but also to see each other. Right? We're seeing more kind of teams right registering and stuff than than you know solo operators. It becomes that quarterly opportunity to get together if you're yeah you're kind of on the remote and dispersed team. And hey, Nashville is a wonderful city. I just want to make that clear. It has nothing to do with the fact that my whole leadership team lives there. <laughs> well, hey, you, you can, we, we can do a uh, podcast live from the show floor in, uh, in April. <laughs> Nick Nashville, the podcast capital of the world. There you go. <laughs> what is your favorite tool? What's the one thing you can't work without? And the limit we put on everybody here is don't tell us it's your phone because that's how we all feel. Unless you're going to cite a specific app. But what's that tool for you that you need to manage all those agencies or track your opportunities? Yeah, I you know I I, I thought about it. Uh, and I, it's, it's a good question that that you would pose, and you know was thinking through what's that nifty platform? You know, do I talk about demand base or what's that? You know, I can't live without my iWatch because it tells me to get up, move around, whatever. But you know, um, it's not quite a tool, but it, it, it's it, this, this is a tool that that I like to use in both you know, kind of my my life uh, on and uh, off of the uh, of the work calendar, and that's empathy, right? So I, I think that uh, for for me as a as a person, as an individual, um, I really try to practice um, empathy in, in all that I do, and use that um, as a way to open conversations, open doors, really listen. And it's not just you know a, a management tool where you know that would, but I absolutely try and practice it as much as I can with my team. But also it's a tool that's useful in, in how you think about, you know, the programs you build and the way that you want to engage with your, your prospects, right? Meet them where they're at. Think about what they're doing, right? Feel for the challenges they have. Um, so for, for me, empathy is it's an important word. It's an important, uh, you know, tool in uh, the James B. Stanton marketing playbook uh, and and life book, to be to be honest. So uh, there you go. There's my answer. I'm curious to see how the empathy thing plays out. You know, big picture, long term. We've heard a lot over the last couple of years about empathy as people managers, as mm. marketers to exhibit empathy. There's kind of this thing in American culture where a big thing happens, and we say we're going to change the way we do things, but we're also sort of resilient in that we kind of go back and I, yeah. I see this thing. Yeah. It's been almost two years now. If people are doing empathy, I hope they keep it, but I, I'm not sure how it's going to play out. I'm curious to see how it's going to play out. I think it's a, it's a, you know, Hey, uh, the, there's glass half full. There's glass half empty. <laughs> 
I mean, I'm going glass half full, two thumbs up on empathy. All right. <laughs> James Stanton, thanks for joining us on B2B Nation. It was my pleasure, Mike. Appreciate the invite. Thanks again to James Stanton for joining us on this episode of B2B Nation. Thanks also to the technology advice team, Amy Dunn, Sarah Sanders, KJ Pace, Caroline Wishar, and Emily Whalen. If you found this episode interesting or insightful, share it with a friend and subscribe to B2B Nation wherever you get your podcast fix. Google, Apple, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Mnemonics in the Guild created our theme song. We'll catch you next time on B2B Nation.